Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Are you hungry for adventure? Do you crave hilarious and perilous tabletop campaigns? Don't bother rolling perception, pal. We've got you covered. Behold! Dungeons and Doritos, Nerdy Show's epic tabletop audio drama, a cinematic serial of mayhem-filled, morally questionable quests at DungeonsAndDoritos.com. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Network, geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. It contains content that may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. All Nerdy Show podcasts are made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Discover the many ways you can join in at nerdyshow.com. All right, here we are for another design episode. And I say we... In the smallest sense possible. <laughs> yeah. We is... We, and not, well, actually, it would be the royal sense would be the smallest, right? Sure, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, so I'm here with Doug today uh, and nobody else. Yeah. Yeah, I got... I got I, Who so, needs him? Yeah. <laughs> like, what What are we doing, Doug? Why don't we just, oh. why don't we just do this, huh? Because uh, this isn't the, even the easiest way. <laughs> no, it's, it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but I hope this episode won't be terrible for lack of input because we... Doug and I have a lot of similar experiences with jamming and stuff like that, and we want to talk about some of the things we want out of this uh, out of this game. But I guess we'll go right into this. Doug, uh, Doug had to bow out of Max's campaign. Mm. What are the ways that you think are effective with dealing with players tagging in and out? For me, it would always ha- this is going to have to be theoretical because I've not yet personally had to deal with right, we've had, <laughs> with people moving in and out. Um, but what that means, right, dear listeners, is that we only get to play Doug's campaigns once every few months. Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> that's what, that, that's what that's true too. Um, I think for like, I think a lot of it is going to depend on if you're doing like a long running campaign that you've been doing since like middle school, or if you're doing like a short. I don't want to say one-off, but like a short uh, couple session campaign that you know has a definitive ending. Or if you're just doing the free-for-all sprawl, Mm -hmm. like you're making up as you go. If you're making up as you go, there's a lot of freedom, you know? But if you're like, okay, I've designed a thing for these, let's say, four players specifically. And for the way their powers bounce off of one another, that will make it difficult. It also depends on how long someone's going to be gone for. If they're like moving to another state and they can't play online or they're unwilling to or whatever and you have to literally replace them that can be difficult versus say hey i can't make it for the next two months say like you could figure something out so i don't you know i don't know it really does depend on all those different elements i in general i think we as gms make it a bigger deal than it needs to be when a, when a player leaves and, mm-hmm. a, and a new player comes in for one session let's say sure i don't think any campaign is so precious that the idea of adding or, or, or not being able to play because another person isn't there is, is actually that big of a deal. Famously, you know, there, what was the um, – do you remember that YouTube miniseries where the they were playing together and there's that one yeah. guy who, who wasn't there? The French-Canadian one, right? No, 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 no. Uh, 
that's a funny one too. But the, no, the uh, it, it's called like the something. Oh, the guy who wasn't there, and his character was standing he was there, just standing in the background, <laughs> like yeah. a statue, just yeah. o- always there but never moving. <laughs> Let me find out the name of that because I, I want to call it out if people haven't seen it. They're playing the game, and their friend can't show up, and they keep cutting to them as characters. And in the he, universe of that, you know, fantasy, right? And he is just standing in the background, staring at a wall. Yeah. So he's just he's with them, but he just doesn't do anything. Right. And um, that honestly, like that seems stupid, but mm-hmm. I think that's fine. Like <laughs> that's that's fine. Everybody still gets to play. Uh, well, and, especially if you know they're coming back. That's the yeah. Thing. Like if it's if they're sitting out for like an episode or a session, rather, yeah, why not? This is Josh letting you know that I did end up googling it in the future and it's called the gamers we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming the so in that same in that same video series a character dies and the player basically makes a clone of the same character yeah yeah and the gm uh counsels them and says now hey listen i want to role play this because a lot of the people you've met have tried to kill you, and this is a stranger. Yeah, he said, "You guys need a wizard." <laughs> yeah, they, they, they say like, "Hello, stranger. You seem trustworthy. Would you like to join our adventuring party?" He's like, "Yes." <laughs> and then they're back off to doing it, and and that seems stupid and frustrating. But at the same time, like, you, you also are here to play a game. Like, yeah, you could, I think it's fine. No, I know some people would say, "Well, there needs to be inherent risk involved because if you have a character who dies and you just clone them and no one gives a shit, then what's the point of even rolling the dice?" Right. You know, which which I. Sure, but it needs to be what's fun. <laughs> like, because if you're not having fun, then you're not playing a game. I do also think that that is rare. Because I think I think that most people, when that character dies, like it's almost like then this is exaggeration, but mm-hmm. it's like losing a pet. Like you mm-hmm. don't just you wouldn't even feel comfortable remaking that character in the same way you wouldn't immediately go and buy another pet that looked like that one. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's fine if you want to, but if you're running that kind of game, yeah, it's also kind of boring Mm -hmm. to just remake the same character. And like, I don't know about you, but like when I'm playing a game like this, I'm thinking about a bunch of different kinds of characters I'd like to play. If I weren't playing this one, even though I like this character, I think you should always have something in your back pocket, you know, just like as like, Oh, I'm, this is the character I'm exploring right now. But if this character, if my character dies, I got this ready to go. Cause this is just another point of view or whatever. Let's say people tag in and out every week. Right. Do Mm. you, do you want to role play the, reason for it all the time if you know ahead of time going in that there's going to be the schedule won't be very reliable Mm -hmm. you may as well just create a game that would allow that to happen more easily yeah and it's i think it is easier in like fantasy campaigns than it is or or it's easier in the kind of adventure campaigns than it is in something like uh like a cyberpunk thing or something or no i think even that's an adventure like like a larp or something you know right. where you're like i do think it's easier than people make it mm-hmm. uh you don't have to make a big deal about it in world it could just be yeah this person's here here with you today and they're not going to be here with you tomorrow uh if, if you need to have a role play reason because your your group feels that you have to justify it fine but if it slows you down you're doing it wrong yeah or talk with everyone at the table and see if they can think, think of a good reason mm-hmm. there's no there's no reason to say oh sorry so-and-so can't be with us this week and they may not be with us next week hey what do we think is the reason why they're not here yeah like just just talk. <laughs> Inevitably, what happens is, oh, we decided you weren't here because you had diarrhea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's... I mean, and why not? Yeah. You know, why fun. not? <laughs> yeah, but people will get offended, you know? It's like, it, it's a little bit like killing your character off screen. But you come back and you're like, I- I'm better yeah. now. I'm yeah. better. And I then, no longer have the diarrhea. <laughs> and then they're gone again the next week. It's like, you had diarrhea again. He wasn't better. IBS, man. Told it's you, a, man. Yeah, it's, it's rough. It's rough on a campaign. And uh, I listen to... So I'm a patron of uh, the Glass Cannon Podcast, and they have a campaign they have for patrons called Raiders of the Lost Continent. 
people switch out. It's it's it is their overflow campaign. So people switch out every week. There's like maybe one or two different people switch mm. up, and their reasons are always like the GM just pretends to be that character and he's like yo i can't come today because i'm stupid like <laughs> you know and uh and uh and be like no you know what i don't feel like going out today i'm just gonna stay in here i'm stupid too <laughs> and it's fun and funny and nobody cares right. it's not I, I was even thinking that if uh one of the campaigns that i want to run for this game eventually i had i had like one idea and i'm like that's the one and then i had two ideas including the original one i'm like ooh, okay they'll choose between the two i'm up to like four now and like as, nice. as, as far as like potential things that i'll let you guys decide what you want to do one of them is a more survival focused campaign and um i'm not into the super hardcore survival like the i'm not into the idea of a super hardcore survival campaign but that's probably why i thought of it because i wanted to, like how would i do that mm-hmm. and the simple answer to that is like okay if you're four people out in the woods and you're stranded you're trying to get back to civilization and you're like so far away uh and one player can't make it that week they have dysentery now it becomes part of the plot you have to save this person like they're sick they ate poison berries or whatever mm-hmm. you go out you got to go out and find the the cure you have to set their leg they're unconscious and now you have to carry their body it's like you incorporate that now into the game to make it even more personal so mm-hmm. even though the per- the character is there and they're quote-unquote unconscious or not at the table when that person comes back you were attacked by a bear in the night and <laughs> you were unconscious and now we had to drag <laughs> your body and now we're 100 miles from where we were before because a wizard gave us a shortcut whatever the fuck like and, and we and we've done this mm-hmm. in in D. i remember uh in the previous campaign that i ran in uh dungeons and dragons pool would tap out and we brought in blake as a guest and, yeah. and just like the the reasons for it are just having somebody bow out is simple it's like as that, big of a problem as you let it be. Exactly. Generally, I think the GM cares more about the sanctity of like making sure all this stuff makes sense mm-hmm. than the players do. But the the G- players there to play a game. Yeah, the player, the players, they care about how it's relevant and they they like to get rip, wrapped up in the story. But the but somebody just showing up and coming with them is not ninety nine times out of a hundred. Yeah, is not going to ruin their immersion. It doesn't. It. It's 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 your problem you're creating in your head. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not their problem. Well, because you're always trying to, as a GM, I think you're always trying to think one step ahead of everybody. Yeah. Even though you can't always, how do I make this make sense? Meanwhile, everyone's like, are we playing yet? <laughs> like, yeah. just let's just start rolling. I don't give a fuck why he's there. Yeah. So I kind of want to, I kind of want to get into campaign design. I'm planning season two or chapter two, or whatever we're going to call it, mm-hmm. of the Echoes of the Star Crypt group, and I may, I may even re- rename it to something else other mm-hmm. than Echoes. And it's tough. How do you do it? How do you design a campaign? I've done it a few times. Um, I've never written one for a module, which is different. Yeah. Um, you do this for Ghostbusters. Yes. How do you How do you start? I think we mentioned before on the show that uh, I always start with, you know, like a blank Google Doc, mm-hmm. and I throw out ideas of what do I want the player to experience. If I'm writing like a book or a movie, it's totally different, but when mm-hmm. I'm thinking about the people at the table, it's like, okay, what are the primary things I want them to feel, and that's going to be the tone of the thing. Do I want them to be scared? Most of the time, is this a horror campaign? So I want them to feel like total badasses in an average world. Do I want them to feel like there's no hope? They're outnumbered. Do I want to make them feel, uh, you know, like what? Just what is the fucking story? Like, you know, when they're playing the game, is it what is the the difficulty and what is the emotion? Is it a story politically that they're gonna weasel their way into a thing and take it over? I, you know what I'm saying? So it's yeah. like it. Th- with an RPG, the sky is the limit of like whatever story you want to tell. But for me, I start with what are the big emotions that I want them to go through? What's the roller coaster ride they're going to go on? And once I figured that out, like for a Ghostbusters example, um, season one, it was simply you guys are average people and do you become heroes and save the day? Like mm-hmm. just follow the arc of the first movie because why the fuck not? How do I make you feel that? 
you know, okay, well, you're going to start small. You're going to start where you don't know anything, and then you're going to build and build. Okay, makes sense. Like, this is, you know, how most stories would go. Um, but then I try and think about what enemies can they face or what obstacles can they face that would better personify that and, like, mm-hmm. force them to think along those lines. And before you know it, you got, like, five enemies or mini-bosses or mm-hmm. what have you. Or... It's more like mini-bosses in Ghostbusters. Yeah, in, in our case, yeah. Um, but I would, I'm would, i would, I'm doing the same thing for the campaigns that I'm making for, for this game mm-hmm. where it's just like, okay, well, this potential campaign has the theme of like i i I pitched it to you guys as like predator i mean there's no there is no thing in the jungle attacking you but you are an elite military group like the a team or the group from predator Mm -hmm. and you're going on a mission behind enemy lines it's a military but you guys have been a unit for a long time that's the tone like glorious bastards you know sure yeah and then you have another one which is the one I was just talking about, the survival one, where it's like you're four strangers, you have to escape. Are you going to survive? It's not even about killing an evil wizard. The prime antagonist is nature. Are you going to get out and survive? Right, right. Totally different feeling than the other. Once you figure out what emotions you want to go through, what villain, if any, personifies that, then I just start breaking it down further and further. So I start with the main question of what's the tone, feeling, emotion? What are the other emotions related to that? How do you make someone feel that? What best represents that? And then before I know it, I have like... 30 lines on a page of what i want and i'm like well each one of these can be a sit-down session yeah now within that session what's the main obstacle is it physical or is it a person is it a whatever and uh, i think i think i think it's kind of self-explanatory from there where you just the more you throw shit against the wall you just naturally find out what sticks at least that's my experience i uh i'm gonna add a a wrinkle to this Mm. a big one uh maybe a crevasse okay (laughs) uh because the game that you've run for Ghostbusters is on mic mm-hmm. and involves so many people and the plot is so cinematic. Sure. The story has been very much on rails. Yes. Um, necessarily so for the kind of thing it is. Sure. There's an entire other way of playing this, mm-hmm. which is sandbox. And th- there's there's currently a, a feeling where, you know, oh, every game is kind of on rails, and every game is kind of a sandbox. If mm-hmm. you have any choices whatsoever, and but maybe, but w- I think when when I say the two, the difference is that people actually do know what I'm talking about. Yes, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in times it may not seem like it, but Chapter One of Echoes of the Star Crypt was very much on rails, mm-hmm. and uh, they they had little pockets they could go into, but that's it. I just kept them moving so that they couldn't deviate too much, and then when they got into a dungeon. I, you know, I, I locked the door and threw away the key. Like, you know, they can go whatever direction they want, but they're on my time now. Like, sure, you know, sure. that's, uh, they can't really do anything I, I don't expect. Mm-hmm. However, chapter two will be different. And I've done this kind of before. Chapter two is going to be a sandbox. And I've done this in D&D before. And it's not very scary. But campaign design is very different in, in terms of how you do it. What I start with is an ending. I know what ends sure, what, sure. what ends the thing. Uh, it's not necessarily the tone. But now we're going to do a session zero where I talk to the players about this, but we're not going to record it because it's, I want to lead into this one a little differently. Mm-hmm. And, you already, and everybody already knows the characters. My plan and the expectations I'm setting for my players. By the way, you, if you're doing on rails or sandbox, talk to your players about what that means for you as the GM and sure, what, you, what yeah. you plan and allow them to help you get on board with that. Mm-hmm. What that means for me is I, I pick the ending and now I am creating three plot threads and one overarching plot thread so i have three problems that can be solved individually but it whichever one you pick to solve at a time the other two get worse yeah that's basically the premise and then there's one problem that continues throughout that you know plays into the uh the climax of it is my plan but the problem is 
I don't know what they're going for or what mm-hmm. they're doing. So I have to leave things pretty open. And yeah. my outline is a lot shorter, even though it's more complex. Similar thing. I, the one time I did do a game which was pretty much sandbox, very much more sandbox than the Ghostbusters games that I run, uh, was when I ran Star Wreck for Nerdy Show. Mm-hmm. We had a antagonist in one corner. We had a planet problem in another corner. Right. And we had an on-ship problem over in this corner. All of them really bad. All of them, it was really just sort of like, here are three different problems. You were on the starship that's the center of this show, if this was a Star Trek show. What do you do? And the ending would be very different depending on wherever they went. Problem was that they kind of didn't really go anywhere because it was too open. So my problem yeah. was that I made it, what is the mission? Like, what is the thing? And it's just like, well, it's this open. You get to decide. You Captain of the ship. And I had, my, my problem was I had figured out exactly how it begins. I knew exactly how to set it up, how to introduce each problem. And then from there, they will sail off into the stars mm-hmm. and they will make their make the adventure happen. And I had no ending planned. I had ending ideas for if they went in this direction or that direction, how that could resolve. Mm-hmm. But there was no like, okay, that's the end of the mission. You're done. And this is what you learn. Nothing, nothing like that. So they ended up kind of trying to do all three. Although I think, I think people had a fine good time mm-hmm. and i think that the show when it finally does come out is going to be very entertaining um it didn't quite pick like this mission or this mission or this mission so it's not like an episode of star trek where they're exploring one idea yeah it's, it's like they dip their toes into like three different things so it it's still a game it still was played they still had you know a fine time but in my head i was planning for like oh no once they pick what one they want we're diving into that and then you know mm-hmm. and then we're going to fully explore it and they're going to lead the charge because when they they bring their little tricorders out and ask questions i'm going to be able to provide all the answers but they decide where to go and what to do next but as a team it just didn't quite they were they were like I think the problem was as I made one of them a captain. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, instead of, like, just saying, hey, the DM is the captain. You guys are the on-the-ground team. Go do the thing. But that would have been on rails again, and I wanted to have mm-hmm. that sandbox experience. That's it, – okay. It's funny because we actually – we talked about this last episode when you weren't here is uh, – it was just me and Liam, and we were talking about how do you fix the problem of being overwhelmed by a number of choices. Hmm. The question of players just saying, we do that. When there's too many choices, you give them a specific point of contact for each. So you're like, when you do that, uh, go talk to so-and-so. They're already working on it. Oh, I heard that it's in this place under this thing. You could probably find out more information from this person. Ask around in this area. Sure. But you, you'd be very specific about the starting point for each of those things and keep them separate. They, they know that they have to make a decision, if that makes sense. Yeah. So they, they start talking about the decision instead of, well, I don't know. You know, I don't know right. where to even start, you know. Right. So that's that's really interesting because it's like the exact opposite. Like I started with the end of each thing. Right, right. But another difference I think between a campaign where players really do feel like they're in a sandbox and that the world is real in that sandbox instead of just a narrative where um, you do these things in this order is the idea that not every combat encounter is designed to address them at the current level that they are. So what I mean by that is that if you walk into the street and just pick a fight with some stranger, whether or not, like, th- that's not something the GM has designed to challenge you. Right. You know, it, it's not it's not specific to, you know, treating your team like it's a SWAT team where you have to deal with these new and interesting, unique challenges. While it is fun to deal with those, if you want the sandbox version, you keep those on story moments, not on everything that they might encounter. Right. So if you 
set the expectation that there are things in this town that can kick your ass. Like they will absolutely win if you fight them. And obviously there's beggars in the street that you can punch and kill in one hit, you know? So if if you, if you create that expectation, as long as you stick to it and they can perceive what's kind of close to their level without your players treating that as a challenge right or, or or a way to a way to just screw with what you've got then it'll it'll feel more real to them uh, in a sandbox campaign but of course as as a result they can get themselves way off track and lost in the weeds ah, but there is no track my friend it's a sandbox <laughs> there but there is there is a plot track no, sure to, sure yeah. but but what happens you know the risk of this is that you know they go and punch a beggar yeah. for no good reason and uh, they the miss guard, the guards are coming and yeah the, well the guards are coming and then the beggar punches back and crits him and yeah. now and then the beggar successfully runs away and many gms are like ho 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 i've got a a new villain <laughs> 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 the beggar king <laughs> exactly exactly he tells somebody about you know this guy who's going around punching beggars and now you've got these people after you but uh like that's that's fun, but it's very easy for them to get way off the rails, and now they've got to deal with the town guard because they're being murder hobos in a town. And um, in an on rails campaign, when that happens, you're ready for it as a GM. Mm-hmm. You know, the fight with the town guards has a resolution that's an exit for them. In a sandbox campaign, like sometimes you just feel like I think you all just die. I think you just did you just did the thing where you murdered somebody in the street in broad daylight. Mm-hmm. And now when the town guards fight you, you start flinging fire out of your asshole and people are like this is a army level threat and they send the army and they kill you. <laughs> like that's and not they they, they're not going to screw around. Yeah, and those of you who run away, they catch you and they hang you. <laughs> yeah. It's it, that's that's the problem with the sandbox campaign is that those moments absolutely can happen, but if they do, your players don't feel that the world is real to them. If that makes sense, they they don't they don't feel like actions have consequences that are outside of their character's ability to cope with. That's a good way to put it because my when I was thinking about the sandbox for Star Trek, it was more of inaction would have consequence. Mm-hmm. It was just like, all right, this problem's getting worse and this problem's getting worse. Which which way are we going? They're like, whoa, 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 we forgot about that one. Let's go back to that one. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. As I need I need to have more experience doing a sandbox kind of story, but the the rails because I tend to think in really cinematic terms, the, the, the rails just come so easy. But it, but I t- I like to think that a lot of people poo poo on rails, and, yeah. and and they don't realize that the games that they've enjoyed the most probably were on rails. Yeah, they just, if it's a GM module, you know, then yeah. it's like well, the GM probably didn't make them feel like it was on rails, which is like its own little magic that they yeah. you know. But but I, I think I think of it more like not like a, a train on a track, but more of like the the Disneyland Expressway, you know, like mm-hmm. where you're like there's one rail in the middle, and you can go this way and you can swerve that way, but overall you're going in that direction. Right. So that's that's at least what I aim for. That's pretty much how we've been doing it in this, you know, in, in uh, on air so far. So this will be interesting trying to do the sandbox route. But I think it, I think the benefit of it is that if you can if you can pull it off, then the world does feel more real, and as a result, they really feel like their characters in the moment. Like that's the, I think that's the real benefit of the sandbox campaign is that if you can if you can do it if you can if you can set it up it's a lot easier for them to get in their character's headspace and know their hopes dreams and fears and you know where where they can go and can't go so it's worth trying but some of the best times i've had have been absolutely on rails Mm -hmm. but as for campaign design what becomes very important for sandbox campaigns is the amount of effort you put into important npcs because on rails it's fun to have really good npcs that are fleshed out and feel real it's almost totally unnecessary though like you don't really need them every every mission they get could be from a letter 
Yeah. You you don't really need them for the players to have fun, but it is fun to have them. With sandbox campaigns, they need to know these people, and they need to know that they exist, and they need to be able to interact with them in ways that matter for their characters uh, more so than in an on-rails campaign. They need to feel like the relationships matter in ways that they can return to, not just for them, but for you, the GM. Okay. <laughs> like they, it is really important that you that you create characters that your players love interacting with, even if their characters hate that character, mm-hmm. because they are going to be your primary resource for steering them towards any goal whatsoever. Um, and that's tough. Like making making characters that your players love. It's one of the hardest things you can do, actually. Mm-hmm. It, I think it's harder than it's harder than plot threads. Oh, I mean, shit! And in, in, um, in Max's game, my big regret is not gonna pick up the the story thread that I don't think Max even ever thought about. Just sort of threw it out when we were trying to determine, all right, who is the captain of the boat that brings us into port? Oh yeah, and we rolled up. He rolled up that old woman and the voice that he gave and the idea of like, have you seen my husband? You just tell him I'm looking for him, and I'm just like. I, I want to find out. Do we run into the husband? Like, <laughs> it's probably. I don't know if Max had a plan or not, or if he just off the cuff. I, I've already got it in my head of digging around at that town. Yeah, I want to find. He he. I don't know if he had that in his because well, he didn't even know if it was going to be a uh, man, woman, child. Like he didn't know anything about who the yeah. captain was going to be. So he just threw. He must have just thrown that out there. And now it's like I want to find that guy. I yeah. Wanna, like I, I want to know. Well, that's. I mean, obviously that's what we were doing in Echoes too. Like mm-hmm. you know, I mean, and and and. The nice thing about this setup is is that you listeners have given me a stable of characters yeah. <laughs> uh, that, they, <laughs> that they're going to interact with. And some of them are very silly. All of them are very silly. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. People love silly. Like, players players adore it. So, um, but yeah, but the randomly generated characters typically are not going to be your plot devices. Right. You know, they're not, they're not going to be those. Well, randomly generating characters is awesome and often very successful uh you can't really plan around them in the same way that you do for the quest givers for your campaign that you're creating whether it's on rails or off 
to create a character that your players will want to interact with, I think that that character has to be very invested in the world Mm -hmm. in a way that allows the players to kind of peek into their life in a way that you wouldn't get from somebody you meet on the street in the same way. You know, like if you interact with a store clerk and you want the store clerk to become a a quest giver, you're not getting the – like you walk into a store as yourself, as a real person. You're not going to get that person's life story. Like an event has to happen. rumors around here, friend? This is a (laughs) 7-Eleven. Rumor? Uh, Yeah. uh, Yeah, Rumor is uh, Stacy's not actually sick and she left me here. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even supposed to be here today. Yeah. But that interaction is exactly what your characters, what, what your players are looking for. Yeah, you walk into a store and there's a guy. The store clerk is arguing with who appears to be his father, telling him that this is a mistake. That he's not living up to his potential. Mm-hmm. You know, you you shouldn't be doing this. And and he's like, oh, get out of here, Dad. You left mom. You don't get to tell me what to do. <laughs> like, and then he right. leaves. And then the characters walk in and they're like, yeah. you know, like it's a rough day, huh? Like, oh yeah, I'm sorry about that. You know, it just gets so this this would never happen in real life. No, of but, course. But that's the kind of thing you want do, do for you, these characters. Do you think it's just that you're giving? options everywhere they go like is, is, that, is that is that how you would view it i, I don't know kind of I, I i think so what we've just created there is a story character mm-hmm. not a random npc right right so if they're like oh we want to um I, I need to go buy some armor i'm gonna go into an armor shop mm-hmm. as a gm you're not like I, thank goodness speak they, thank goodness <laughs> they chose to buy armor because i have carefully constructed this armor shop employee of course not yeah but but, but, I, but you know but i mean like if you're randomly rolling it up and you don't. It's just all right. It's a guy. He's in his forties. He's bald, and he's just like, "Hey, welcome to my armor shop." And it's like you, you. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with Absolutely just having not. to be. I'm hello. I'm NPC. Here's your armor. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Like, nothing wrong with that whatsoever. <laughs> but for me, thinking about an open world sandbox thing, I would always try and think of well, what makes that guy more than just all right? Get out of here. Because if your sandbox is nothing but blank face NPCs, then right. it's not. A, it's not. What's the joy of the sandbox? Well, the joy of the sandbox is that – so I think the, the benefit of randomly rolling is because it feels like – so they're like, we're going to go in the store, and you're like, okay, uh, the store looks like – and you just make up what the store looks like. Sure. They walk in, and you're like, who's manning the counter? And you, A 90-year-old woman. <laughs> and you're yeah. like, an armory? Like, it suddenly yeah. there's a story there. But but it's it, – <laughs> the benefit of rolling it is that it does make the world feel lived in. Mm-hmm. It's not like here's random NPC numbers, so you get very specific with what they yes, look like, yes. you know, all that, and and as a result, they're like, oh, cool. And what's her name? And then you come up with a name for her. You can even ask your players what her name is. Yeah. You know, they know you randomly rolled it, and now that person exists in their world. And it it that's that's a sandbox thing. Like that's that's one of the benefits. I mean, we do it in, we do it in on rails, but it's almost just for comedic effect. <laughs> you know, it doesn't really have the same. I would also say, pro tip: before you sit down to do a session or or even a campaign. Make a list of names that you like. And this way, when you need to think of a name, it's there on the page. Because mm-hmm. there's like, you know, I, I have a list of names for Ghostbusters where it's like, do you run into a cultist? Do you run into a random normal bystander? Do you run into uh, a dead ghost of someone who's like long since whatever? I have different names for different things that all sound like different things. I have cultist names that sound like batshit, you know, like sure. whatever. And uh, it saved me so many times. So <laughs> I, I would highly recommend doing that. And also Don John is a resource, everybody. Like yes. Use Don John's random generators. They're fantastic. For the story NPCs I'm creating, I'm just going there and, and picking a name that sounds fine. What I want to get across is creating story NPCs in this world. In Sandbox, you really need to do give it some love and care and think about – like give give these characters a backstory that you may never have to tell the players only so that they feel real in the moment 
when the players interact with them and, and, and have to learn their problems and the things that they want and need. The biggest problem with sandbox campaigns is that week to week, you really don't know what's going to happen. I, I don't know if I told the story on the podcast before, but we had one game where uh, the primary group was four people. It was Doug, Poole, our friend Mike from Ghostbusters, and our friend Adam. And Poole couldn't make it, so we brought in our friend Blake. And I had a local, like, Mafia Don. His daughter was missing. Yeah. And Blake's character was his preferred muscle. They just all decided that she had been kidnapped. Yeah. <laughs> no investigation. She just absolutely had been kidnapped. The only possible... Right. <laughs> the only possible explanation. Right. It, a girl went missing. Oh, someone took her. <laughs> yeah. So so Mike's character was a changeling or shapeshifter. So they're like, oh, okay. So what we need to do... How do you find a kidnapper? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what you need to do... What we need to do is is find some kidnappers. Have Mike become a young rich girl at market. Pay them to kidnap her. And then we'll know what they took <laughs> the other forgot. girl. The first thing we did was... All right. How do you find a kidnapper? Let's say we want to hire some kidnappers. We're going to a bar. Hey, do you know anyone who uh, does kidnappings? And the bartender's like, are you fucking crazy? Like, <laughs> like, get out of my fucking place, you, like, you criminals. Yeah, I, I do, uh, that's I, not going to work. We can't just go asking, hey, do you know any kidnappers? <laughs> so we got to bait criminals into kidnapping someone who was an easy target. Mike, shapeshift into a, into a pretty girl who looks like she's rich. God damn it. <laughs> and I, and I, by the way, I, I had a plot thread of the real reason she was missing. Like I knew not it, this at all. And it was yeah. she was not kidnapped. <laughs> uh, but the beauty or the primary problem with that is that I have to now come up with a solution on the fly for somehow still make them interact with the real reason while letting yeah. them have their fun on yeah. this. Because and it, it worked, you pulled it off. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it, it basically the the solution I came up with while they were arguing, which is. By the way, if your players start arguing and you don't know what to do, use that time effectively. Yes. <laughs> take take a moment like, well, uh-huh, yeah, did, okay, yeah, you're right. Maybe she was. Yeah, sure. And you're just right, like, maybe it, it happened this way instead. What ended up happening is they kidnapped Mike's character and um, – We the, followed them. Yeah, it was a Romeo yeah. – so it was a Romeo and Juliet sit, uh, situation where a rival family's son and that guy's daughter were running away together to get – But we thought she was kidnapped. Yeah. They <laughs> by, thought, by criminals. Right. But, but he was like a dashing – uh, swashbuckler type mm-hmm. so he had seen so while they're like following the they were making their escape to like two right. tickets to paradise and like you know well, what, but they, they saw this kidnapping happen in the market <laughs> yeah and immediately they go we, we must help them and uh <laughs> run in and start killing the kidnappers and mike's sitting there tied to a chair like what the fuck is happening yeah. <laughs> like and then basically they they sequester mike's character and all the other players are like watching from the shadows all of this breakdown we're like how the fuck do we get in there so they don't think we're the bad guys yeah and we got to get in there before they find out that mike isn't really a pretty rich girl who got kidnapped because yeah. they're gonna freak out then the dashing man and, and his lady steal mike yeah steal mike's character and like get her to safety which is on the boat that they're gonna leave leave on right and uh and then everybody now we gotta rescue mike <laughs> and uh it was very it was very silly and intense, mm-hmm. but um, but that's a success yes. story of when things go haywire in a sandbox mm-hmm. campaign, like how to get back on track. I don't have any epic failure stories because the failures to make it work usually is just – it's nothing big and fun. It's just like if you can't come up with a good reason to get them back on track, you generally are just like, oh, uh, a letter arrives. Mm-hmm. And it says – Someone walks in and says, what are you doing here? Please help. You're thinking of 53A – this is 53B. <laughs> no, okay. Now, now you're back in fun territory already. 
Get out of my house! <laughs> okay, that's true. That would be fun. Epic failures are just regular failures. Yeah. If anybody hasn't checked out uh, the Taking 20 channel on YouTube, he has a story about – the guy who runs the channel, he has a story about how his players – uh, he was playing with a bunch of new players, and he had uh, invested in an adventure path that was very expensive called Storm King's Thunder, and it's enormous, uh, and it seems like a lot of fun. And his players are all new, and they don't know the conventions of plot hook threads or anything like that, but they love it. They're they're engaged. They're asking questions about their characters, and he's they are way off the rails. He's like he's like I I just you know I, I kind of want to get them back on track, but they're having such a great time, and like we're, we are going down rabbit holes, and you know all these things that they want to do for their characters. They're having a blast. But at this point, I'm like a hundred fifty dollars deep on what I've invested in this adventure right, path, and we're right. not we're not playing any of it. So he goes to a bunch of GMs and and he and and asks them online. Not all of them, but the majority of them said, "Well, it sounds like it's time for a TPK." Oh, your players are having fun. Time to kill them. Yeah, and uh, he's like, "I can't believe I can't believe anybody would suggest that." That's like the worst GM. I think the video is called "The Worst GM Advice I Ever Got." Mm-hmm. Um, so sorry for spoiling what that GM advice was. But what he did instead is what you should do if you're having a hard time reconciling your plot goals as your GM with what your players are currently doing that they're invested in. He just talked to them and said, Hey guys, I'm having a great time. I am so stoked. You're having a great time. I am $150 deep (laughs) in Mm -hmm. storm King's thunder. And I really like, I really want to try it. Um, So if I like introduce like a couple plot hooks coming up, can you just be into them? And they're like, fuck. Yeah. Like it's just enthusiastic, yes, because mm-hmm. they don't know where the rails are. Like they have no idea, but they're there to play. That's what they're there to do. So if you run into this trouble in a sandbox campaign and you don't know how to dig your way out of this hole you created, ask your players. You don't have to appear to have all the answers all the time. It's it's actually not important to them. They don't care. You can be like, guys, I actually don't know how to move forward from here. The next thing I wanted you guys to do is in this area, and I don't really have any ideas. What do you guys think would draw your attention that way? Because that's kind of what I need to do for what I have planned. They'll tell you. They're cool with that. That's not breaking of the fourth wall in any meaningful way. Like You, you can absolutely do this. That does remind me. I, I, a meme I saw on Reddit for D&D where players are talking to their GM and they say like, wow, you just have everything in this world so planned out, don't you? And there's me looking at a note that just says, sexy goblin. <laughs> Yeah, this this is just making me. I can't wait to now dive in and just run a game with this system as a sandbox thing, just to throw myself out of my element mm. and make up shit on the fly. Because that's the, whenever you land it, it's so good. The real barrier to doing that in the first campaign I ran was the total lack of balance around anything, because the game was so incomplete. I didn't have a good sense of what is a strong monster, what is a weak monster, what abilities and scores people should or shouldn't have, what even what the weapons did. So I couldn't really give them that freedom because I'd be making up rules for our games that I would I would kind of want to stick just so that our players understood what they were doing. But now it, it's it's so much more solid. I I feel comfortable letting them loose, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, it's not perfect. I mean, we're, we're still going to have to make up a lot of stuff, but it's time. Speaking of plot hooks, making materials as a GM to hand out to your players. Yeah. So anything from handwritten notes, uh, written by characters that they find, um, little props, that kind of thing, or, or even just a tool for them to track their progress along some sort of thing you've created in your campaign. Do you feel like this adds a lot for them? You're asking the wrong guy because, as you well know, uh, in season three of Ghostbusters, I handed out a ton of shit yep, <laughs> like yep. at the table. And in many cases, I feel like it was it was really helpful. But there did reach a point where I was like, 
I've given them too much. Like yeah. I've, 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 I've given them way too many things and they're focusing on all these little details when it really is just this bigger thing. I just, my, my intent with all the stuff that I handed out at first was just, oh, you don't have to think about it here. It's just, here's just a visualization of what it is. But then you guys were like trying to find like commonalities among all the things. I'm like, oh yeah, those are there, but that's not why it's in front of you in reality. It's just to give yeah. it whatever. And it became a, I don't want to say it was a problem because it wasn't a problem, but it, it definitely, I think it started to confuse everybody at the table when it was like, well, Doug's clearly giving us all the, all this out because it must mean something or he wouldn't have gone through the trouble to give it to us in person. Right. And I can, and I totally see that now. So I'm like, well, I would do the same thing again, except maybe not give two or three items. Like everything else you guys totally got, it was totally fine. But there was like two or three things that I gave that only made things confusing. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't meant to be a clue. It was meant to just be like, hey, that's what it looks like. Isn't that kind of cool that you can hold it? Because then I thought, okay, I'm going to give one item to one player. That player's holding the item. Now I'm like, oh, shit. I kind of wish I had things for all the players to hold because I didn't want anyone to feel left out. Right. But then, okay. then suddenly it's like everybody has a thing. And I'm like, what does it all mean? And I'm like, it means you're holding the item. Like It doesn't, it doesn't have to mean anything else. I just didn't want anyone to feel left out. But it worked out. It worked out sure, totally yeah, fine. Yeah. I, handing out handwritten notes. I like doing that as GM, mm. but the more the more I play as a player and I receive these things, the more I think it's for me as the GM is it just helps me keep things straight because to be perfectly honest, like receiving these things as players is fun if it's a one-off, mm-hmm. but having to hold on to a clue for months of real world, world time is not that fun. Right. And it's more f- appropriate, I think clues are a fun thing to hand out sure but when once they've seen them you can probably save them when it's time for that clue to matter maybe you can remind your players yeah you know instead the, of instead of just expecting them to do it the lesson i learned with handing out things at the table is that you kind of are breaking the fourth wall when you do that mm-hmm. like something from the imaginary world is going to be plopped right there on the table so you need to have a good reason for it like it can't just be hey isn't that neat That'd be like, oh, and you got the sword of so-and-so, the the mystical weapon, and then you plop down a real sword on the table. They're going to think, holy fuck, this is awesome. Mm. But then they're going to think they're showing us the sword in reality for a reason that we couldn't explain like in the game without making it like obvious where it's like there, maybe there's a hidden inscription on here and maybe there's a jewel that comes loose or maybe there's a hidden compartment or maybe the sword folds and, and then it's like, no, no, I just wanted to give you the sword. So you got to have – the point I'm making is – from now on, I want to make sure there's a reason why it has to be here in reality in front of your eyes. Yeah, that's that's true because th- there is a – I think you described a problem I hadn't even – hadn't been able to express mm-hmm. is that it is a weird reality warp to say your character finds something, but here it is in your hands. Yeah. That is – it does actually – there is a weird dissonance to that. So for handwritten notes, I love handing them out. I love making them, but – I think it is actually less immersive to hand the note than it is to read it from your notes, mm-hmm. unless it's something that needs to be private. Sure. And that's, I think, the only reason why you absolutely need to hand it to somebody is if they get that information in this moment in front of everybody but can choose whether or not to share it. Yes. So well, what about tools? What about um, worksheets, uh, tracking? I, I honestly, I don't think there's enough of this. Mm-hmm. I have a spreadsheet that I've I have an I like it's basically a Google spreadsheet of weapon damage for like D six adventures that I put together. Right. That I'm just like okay, well, if a knife is this and a club is this, then well, the sledgehammer would be this. And granted, I maybe have gone a little too far in differentiating <laughs> sure, like sure. different kinds of things, but I have it there. Like I mean, granted, we're playing a game like Ghostbusters. I don't think there's ever going to be a time where one of you picks up a flamethrower, but I got it. 
You know, right. it's like right. I just have it there ready to go because you never know. I don't want to I never want to be in a position where everyone has this amazing epiphany moment where in the middle of combat and someone says, I grab the whatever and then they go for it and I have no idea. This is me also over preparing, I suppose. But like yeah. having having a having the spreadsheet that I put together so I it's color coded and I know how it works and stuff is invaluable. I uh I was thinking more along the lines of things that they have to do. Like um in campaign I ran uh, Oh, like when you gave us the maze or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so uh Keith or Nesbit Bizzleby on the Echoes podcast, he played a cleric in one of our campaigns and his cleric was a ritual caster, and I wanted to have a real-time battle where uh, you took an action on your turn. They're basically being swarmed by just a yeah. swarm of, of things, and Keith was trying to open this door with magic, mm-hmm. and what was happening is uh, I wanted to just go round by round and just be like, you, it's your turn. What do you do? Mm-hmm. It's your turn. What do you do? It's your turn. What do you do? One of you takes a hit. One of you takes a hit and just move fast and, and keep going, and the whole time I gave Keith these four uh, really complex mazes on paper that was to represent him doing a ritual and the time it took him to get through the mazes because everybody else i wanted him to feel the most pressure even right. though everybody felt a lot of pressure because they didn't want their characters to die and it was a good it, 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 by the way, I, I loved it yeah by the way steal this <laughs> like like use this in your campaigns because it was really fun because even the players were like keith are you done you know like uh his, he's his like char- working on it yeah creave <laughs> creave was his character like creave are you done yet? And like somebody takes a hit. It's like, Creve, how's that door coming? He's like, shut up. I can't concentrate when you're right. talking. And he means it yeah. in he's two doing ways. It in real time. He's yeah. really doing it. Yeah. yeah. So so stuff like that is fun. That's a fun tool. But also things like um, tracking how many troops you may have for a, a war campaign. And by the way, um, outsource some of this work. Because these tools like this, I think they really do help a campaign and they don't break the fourth wall in the way that a physical item from that world does because the the tool you're giving them is as representative of what's happening in the game as their character sheet is if your players are better at this than you at creating them let that player know ahead of time that you would really like something that could do xyz for the next couple sessions or if or if your players just want a game mechanic that isn't in the game like creating spells you know uh you say okay well Let's make a table. Maybe they can do it for you. But those actually, unlike the physical items, enhance immersion. Being able to look at my sheet and know how good the morale of the troops that I've been put in charge of, Mm -hmm. it helps. It it helps you visualize what's actually happening in front of you. So I kind of want to get into a little bit of world building. And I'm, I'm just trying to think conceptually for this upcoming campaign. How common do you think body magic really is in this world? Like as opposed to ritual magic. Just being able to, like, being an X-Man, you know, like, like pulling the, the stuff from your body to throw death magic or... I don't know. Um, fire. I think it's interesting if it's not common, because, like, as soon as it becomes common, it's just like, oh, well, then, who gives a shit? You're not special. Like, yeah. there's nothing, you know, it's like, then whole cultures are revolved around, oh, any, 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 any asshole can start a fire. Like, there's mm-hmm. no, you know, with just thinking about it, poof, there it is. It's like, there's no struggle. There's no whatever. Right. So, making it... I don't think it should be like outlawed or anything per se, but I definitely think like maybe this is a time in in history when people are being born with these abilities where they don't need a ritual to do magic and it kind of freaks people out, but not to the point of like it's so rare that it's not like there's no witch hunt for it, you know what I mean? Right, right. And people and there's and to explore the idea of the witch hunt even further, there's no innate fear of magic in general. Mm-hmm. It's more of like, oh, you're a savant. 
you know mm-hmm. like you you're 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 gifted like it's not like a mark of shame it's because magic does exist and ritual magic is like the basis that most people like anyone can do it if you know the ritual is, right. is the idea right. but there are some people out there who don't need any ritual and they just do and they don't even know how or why they'll just think of it like oh i just wish that thing was in my hands and it floated over here i don't know like mm-hmm. just so there's there's something interesting to that where it could be some people might keep it secret. Some people are trying to understand it. Some people, and then that brings up story ideas, like some guy out there is trying to re- steal all the children who supposedly have these magical abilities, mm-hmm. and he's trying to figure out well, how do, how can we get it to everybody? And I don't know. So I, I think I think that is interesting. But to give like a realistic number of like one out of well, how to, out of a hundred, how many people have this? I'd say less than one out of a thousand, maybe. One out of a thousand or, might be or, or, might or be a fewer. Good, yeah, and and most people wouldn't even think to nurture it. Yeah. You know, like that's a – but I don't want to put rules in our game that if you did 10 or 5 steps champion that you couldn't spontaneously gain magical powers. You know yeah. what I mean? Because yeah. I think it's it, it's fun. It's just fun to spontaneously gain them. But your characters are the heroes. Mm-hmm. You know, you are the exceptional, exceptional people. Mm. The thing is magic already exists in the world. Mm-hmm. So someone being born with an ability as opposed to doing ritual – Sure, and so so who's to say that you can't just gain the ability in a tense situation when you level up? So I th- I think it makes sense. I think so too. And uh, and in, in the ways that magic can make sense, <laughs> right? It just needs to function for yeah. what we're doing. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I I think that's good. Yeah. One. I think one in a thousand. That's that's a good way of thinking of it. Because in the setting of our world, the setting of Erd, uh, the artifacts world, if you imagine two armies going to war, why wouldn't everybody just be flinging Magic, spells yeah. at each other right right maybe there's a couple of those and the idea that somebody might have a higher ratio of spellcasters mm-hmm. to non-spellcasters should be actually scary yeah like that that would be really spooky spellcasters are like talented archers now where it's like all right yeah. have a line of them there and then the archers are up there and then you're providing cover to the spellcasters and so on and so on and so on. right right like they can call it like imagine two armies are meeting in a field and one guy who's standing by the archers drops the rogue star yeah. you know on, on the right. battlefield like that guy is so dangerous compared to an archer mm-hmm. and they want to protect him yeah exactly he's like the uh kicker and on a football team yeah <laughs> it's the kicker yeah exactly like that guy can score points in a way that nobody else can yeah, yeah. he's got one job protect him please yeah. <laughs> if he breaks a leg we're fucked <laughs> okay i like that one in a thousand i think that's that's a good way of of, of thinking of it and the reason why all four or five of your adventuring party might have magical powers is it is like why would these people ever come together well because they're all exceptional and they're the ones that get picked for this kind of shit you know i'm it it it's like like you think it's like seal team six ever looks at each other it's like what are the odds that we're all navy yeah (laughs) exactly yeah 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 so uh okay i like that i like that a lot um all right, well, I think that's where we're going we're gonna to end it today. I want to thank Doug for uh, making the trip yeah. out here. It's, no I know problem. it's a trek. But as always, if you want to play this game we're making, you can find it on patreon.com slash RPGFS where we post all the materials that we create as we create them and send them out to listeners. So at the $1 tier, you get all the cutting room floor, everything that we've cut out of these episodes that's funny but off topic. At the $1 tier, you get all of those and you get to support us. You know, if you want to see this game get made, that helps a lot. At the $2 tier, you get all the character sheets we make. At the $5 tier, you get the rule books updated as we make them. And at the $10 tier, you get to create a custom NPC. And based on the discussion from this episode, you should see why that matters. And you can find all that at patreon.com slash RPGFS. You can also find us on Twitter at Homebrew Ombres. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash RPGFS. You can also find us on Instagram at RPG from scratch, but that's all one word. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, stay safe, stand watch, and get a full rest. Mm-hmm.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.